You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. So I'm going to be in the city of Austin in a week. And we're going to be doing on Saturday, October 27th, a strategic warfare for city transformation conference in partnership with Luke 418 Ministries. And it's going to be at Faith Culture Church. Now, the actual address and the link to register can be found at bridemovement.com right at the bottom of our homepage. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're followers and you're in the Texas area, hang out with us. Um, The last time I was in Austin, I I didn't actually advertise the conference on this platform because we had limited seating, but this time we have more, I'm told. And so I I look forward to meeting some of you guys that hang out in the Austin area and not too far from there. This week, we're going to be continuing our conversation that we started last week, and it wasn't intended, but you know, there was so much response that we got from the How to Bust Demons Upside the Head podcast. I, I just couldn't help myself but do a part two. Now, we offer a lot of additional resources when it comes to the subject of spiritual warfare, guys, and how to start winning with your resources in Jesus Christ. And some of those are found at the Bride Ministries Institute. It's able to be found on our website just at the top. Uh, navigation, you'll find the Bride Ministries Institute. And if you go there, you can sign up for one of our courses, but you can, um, of course, also find free prayer resources under the free prayer resources tab at our website as well. Now, in the Bride Ministries Institute, those are paid courses. It's deep, in-depth teaching. All of our courses are eight or nine sections, and it comes with manual and with questions that will test your comprehension at the end of every segment. Uh, We're really putting something uh, of great quality together, truly, because this is going to ultimately be the foundation for our DID coaching school, and everything that's going up there is really going to be prerequisites. Now, as far as the classes go, they're available to anyone anywhere in the world, which is something that I wanted to be sure that we could do. Now, uh, with that said, I want to thank those of you that continue to support us financially. You know, I I am just so grateful. We're grateful. Um, everyone that is involved in the board and in leadership and so forth. We 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 just want to say thank you for supporting us, supporting the vision, and continuing to push Bride Ministries forward because we we are filling a, a void in the body of Christ that. Uh, not too many people are signing up for, guys, uh, truly, uh, creating solutions that are capable of helping survivors of satanic ritual abuse, government-sponsored mind control agendas. We're certainly not the only ones out there doing this, but it's few and far between, and we have a huge heart to see the solution sets in areas where people have just not had them. And so thank you. Thank you, thank you. Now, with that said, I'm not going to spend too much time on the front end here. I am going to take a brief moment to apologize. You'll notice immediately that the audio quality of the actual podcast this week is 
far below what you're used to. I had some funny stuff going on, uh, and when I went to record, my normal microphone was hard muted inside of my computer, which was weird, and so my recording device picked up a secondary microphone, which sounds worse, but at least it was there. I wanted to re-record the program, but I didn't have time with my travel schedule, so please give us your forgiveness. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. So last week, I did a program called How to Bust Demons Upside the Head. And there was quite a bit of response to that program, I assume, because a lot of you like winning. Well, I like winning too. As a matter of fact, I think that God designed it to be that his children should win. The problem is that when we're not winning, we think that it's what God wants because we're confused. Well, when we looked at how to buzz demons upside the head, I think some people were encouraged, motivated, maybe transformed a little bit by the fact that God has not left us without recourse. He's given us a lot of weapons to deal mighty blows to the powers of darkness. Well, because we had such an incredible response to the program last week, I decided what better way to go about doing a program this week than to have an encore. <laughs> so what's the encore? How to bust demons upside the head harder. That's right. Why? Because if you were using a baseball bat before, now it's time to use a vaulting pole, or something like a spiked club. These demons don't get it. You know why? Because they keep taking assignments against you. And they think that if they just attack long enough, you'll quit. Well, it's about time that the script got flipped. In other words, instead of the demon seeing how long it takes them to wear you out, you should be timing how long it takes you to wear them out. Wipe that smile off their snickering face. Look, Halloween is coming up, and there's no better time to bust demons upside the head than right now when people are going around and glorifying darkness. You know, there's all kinds of rituals that are going to be coming up towards the end of the month. I know that because a lot of my clients go through things every Halloween because it's just the way it goes. And, and this year, there's going to be a lot of extra because there's so much tension about the upcoming elections. It's a very, very highly contested time in the United States, at least. And for those of you that are in different places around the world, you've probably been at least partially aware of the politics that are going on in this nation. Now, with all this stuff running around in the spirit, sometimes things get a little heavier and a little heated. I know that every year I can typically feel the whole month of October because there's an extra layer of heaviness with all the prep work that goes into the um, pre-Halloween season. Powers of darkness go nuts. Well, 
I feel like we should spend this month throwing massive bombs into the midst of the enemy's camp and making them as uncomfortable as possible. Now, last week on this podcast, I laid out a framework, which I'm going to review quickly, for what it means to have and use spiritual weapons. And then I gave you 25 weapons of warfare. This week, I'm going to review a little bit about what I said before, in case you didn't hear last week's program, and then I'm going to give you 25 more weapons of warfare, and then I'm going to give you a weapons of warfare prayer number two. Because there's so many weapons, it's actually fun to use them and to think of creative ways to verbalize them into prayers that are designed to cause massive and maximum punishment for these goons. Now, what is the basis scripturally for executing warfare with spiritual weapons against the powers of darkness? Now, step one, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing it. It is sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit, the completeness of a person, and of both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12, Amplified Bible. Now, the, the word of God is compared to a sword on more than one occasion in the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 is one of them. The other one, Ephesians 6.17. In Ephesians 6.17, it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the sword of the Spirit is one weapon of warfare. Some Christians think it's the only one. But what we learn when we read the Bible is that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And what this means is that when we apply the word strategically, we are able to unleash it as a sword or a weapon. And when we learn that the word of God contains many weapons along with many promises, we understand that we can derive a very robust prayer life from the word of God. When it comes to the sword of the spirit, the word sword translated in both Ephesians and Hebrews is the word makaira. This is a short sword or large knife. Uh, it is compared with the Romphea, which is another type of sword mentioned in the book of Revelation in the context of Jesus destroying at the battle of Armageddon. It's a very large sword with a blade that is two to three feet and a handle that is about a foot to a foot and a half. It's, it's massive. It's destructive. And so between those two, God decided to give us the little guy, the Makaira. And I talked about this last week, so I'm just running through it briefly. You need to understand that this is not because God intends for you to get beat up with an inferior weapon. No. Instead, every weapon is lethal in the hand of a trained user. And what God doesn't want us to do is to go around wielding our prayer life like 
Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, you need bread on your table. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You need healing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, it's like, wait a minute. Quoting that scripture in Genesis 1-1 has zero relevance to getting bread on your table or getting your body healed. So why would you pray with that verse in that context? And this is where the Makaira revelation becomes very important. See, the Makaira has to be used skillfully in order to be lethal. And so when we get into a robust prayer life, what we have to realize that the Bible has a lot to say. It has a lot of promises. It has a lot of weapons. But unless we know them, we won't be able to use them lethally against the powers of darkness and beneficially on behalf of our lives. The, the, one of the main reasons why a lot of people that are Christian have a failing prayer life is because they do not know the promises of God, and they do not know their weapons of warfare. Why? Because they're not reading their Bible. And sometimes they're listening to preachers that say all of the armor of God is defensive, a message that I've heard myself. And so God just wants you to stand there doing everything you can do to stand and just keep standing and getting hit. And it's like, except for all of the land and all of the territory that the devil has already stolen, what do we do about that? Just let him have it? My answer is no. We go and we take it back in Jesus' name. See, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So wherever the devil is squatting, I guarantee you he is hijacking something. He is usurping something. And he is an interloper waiting to be driven out. And the Bible says the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. You know, as Jesus is coming back in Revelation 11, it says that the nations of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. God definitely plans to ex um, extract evil out of the entire earth. And leading up to his return, we are part of his plan to do that. And uh, that's kingdom thinking. So we don't have defeatist thinking. Now, when we get to the Makaira and we talk about, okay, so we have to use it skillfully. That means that if I want to pray for healing, I'm not going to quote Genesis 1.1. I'm going to quote 1 Peter 2.24. By the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. I note 1 Peter 2.24, and therefore I can quote 1 Peter 2.24 as a promise of God in order to engage my Makaira and bring healing to my body with a scripture that is valid for that purpose. It's a promise that's specific to that need. So you have to know the promises of the word of God in order to use your Makaira effectively. It's the same with the weapons of warfare. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 through 5, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The word weapons is a plural word in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 through 5. That's not singular. The sword of the Spirit is not the only one. Last week I gave you 25. Get ready for 25 more. Why? Because I want you to bust some demons upside the head harder. Amen. So, <clears throat> number one. Number one the acts of God. You know, an axe is a, 
it's a very devastating weapon. You can chop down a tree. You can break something in pieces. You, you, you can cut firewood. And you, you can dismember things with an axe. It, it, it's brutal. As a matter of fact, the Bible in Matthew 3, verse 10 says, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The axe of God is very, very useful as a spiritual weapon. You can lose the axe of God against enemies. Because if you get hit by an axe, ouch, that hurts. So what do you think the axe of God is going to do to a demon or an evil spirit? Well, you could throw it at something. The other thing that axes are really good for is cutting down things at the root, especially when you're executing deliverance and things. And, and, and if you begin to see a root network in the spirit or a network of roots, and it's like, ah, something is lodged in spiritually. You can take the axe and lay it to the root and speak this scripture and watch the acts of the Lord do its work, setting the captives free. I love to use the axe. And we learned something very interesting about the kingdom of darkness in that they use evil sacred trees for their darkness. And and, and evil sacred trees are really interesting. They can lock up the destinies of families and generations inside of evil sacred trees. They, they can um, take power from evil sacred trees and do rituals with them and all kinds of terrible things. Well, uh, just like there are evil sacred trees in the natural, there are also evil sacred trees in the spirit realm. And when being confronted with this kind of thing, and I, I, I'll even suggest that there does seem to be a type of forest kingdom of the kingdom of darkness where there are, you know, how, how do you say it? Uh, it this, this one's tough to get into, but, but, but the acts of God is very useful when beginning to contend with this realm. The acts of God can be loosed at the roots of evil sacred trees in warfare to do destructive damage um, to, to, to the networks of darkness. So number one, the acts of God. Number two, chariots of God, otherwise known as chariots of fire. The, the Bible says in Isaiah 66 verse 15, for behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Let me tell you something. God is not afraid to rebuke the powers of darkness. As a matter of fact, the things that Satan and his kingdom of evildoers does makes God angry. Some Christians are so confused because they think the only one that God ever gets angry with is them. God's mad at me, Dan Duvall. That's why everything in my life is in shambles. He doesn't like me much. Let me give you a revelation. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
You know, the Bible has a lot to say about everything that God has done for us. And it, it, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It is a revelation to realize that if you were the only one that God was going to be able to save on this planet, he would have still died for you. And you know what? This whole thing of getting caught up with the lie that, oh, God doesn't like me much and God is just mad at me. Let me tell you something. God does get angry, but he's angry at the powers of darkness. And he will come against them with his chariots like a whirlwind. And this has happened to groups of people that have partnered with the powers of darkness. In the natural, in the Old Testament, but it also will definitely happen to your spiritual enemies. And I am telling you that you can engage the powers of darkness in prayer with the chariots of God, quoting passages like Isaiah 66, 15 in your warfare. Say, Father God, I've been surrounded by my enemies, but behold, you will come like a fire with your chariots like a whirlwind to render your anger with fury and your furious rebuke with flames of fire. Handle my enemies, King Jesus. You know, it's quoting the word. That is that sword now coming out of your mouth. And oh my gosh, now the enemy has to contend with the chariots of God. That's not a good proposition. Number three. Madness. You know, it was, sometimes you see people that, that go into the psych ward because they, they, they have gone mad, and, and that can be chemically induced and uh, induced by other things. It's, it's always sad when, when madness overtakes a person. Um, but madness is actually a weapon of warfare that you can use to smack a demon upside the head. Also, blindness and astonishment of heart. Number three, four, and five of this week's list of weapons is all found in the same verse, Deuteronomy 28, 28. It says, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart or astonishment of heart. This is the thing. Your enemies should not be able to engage with you at peak capacity. They should have everything going wrong with them possible. So they're going to take an assignment against you. They better recognize you are a king and a priest unto God most high. You are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. If they think they're going to come up against you in tip-top shape, they have another thing coming. They come within any proximity. They better be smited with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. They can't even get close to your proximity if you are setting up a grid of weaponry round about your life. You know, I believe that we shouldn't be running from devils. Devils should be running from us. Yeah, you. <laughs> the guy sitting in the chair listening to me talk, you're the one. And they should be afraid of having to deal with you. Why? Because of the one you serve. How is it that the demons are taking assignments against the servants of the Most High God and laughing about it? It's not right. 
There's something wrong when this happens, when the body of Christ is a laughingstock of the powers of darkness. That's because we have not learned how to use what we were given. I'll tell you. I set off on a journey long ago to ensure that every evil spirit that got an assignment against me would loathe the day that that assignment came. I want the powers of darkness to be sitting in their chairs. And when they get that assignment and it says, Dan Duvall, their hearts sink into the floor and they roll their eyes and they let off a deep sigh and they say, no, not me, no. And that is how they should respond when they get an assignment against you. But some of you that are listening to me are dealing with demons that look forward to their assignment with you because you're a pushover. You get slapped and say thank you. You think it's your divine ordained calling of God to get beat up. It's not. Number six, the broom of destruction. Now, now this is funny, <laughs> you know, uh, because it's like, really, a broom? What, what, what are you going to do with a broom in the spirit, Dandaval? Isaiah 14, 23 says, I will also make it a possession for the porcupine and marshes of muddy water. God's talking about dealing with Babylon. He says, I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. You know, when you have a pile of garbage on your floor, you will take a broom and sweep it up. That's how God deals with Babylon. He just takes his broom and he just sweeps it aside. The enemies of God can just be swept aside with the broom of destruction. Isn't that fun? You know, it's just so, so silly. Some of these weapons really are silly. But, but they're real. They're in the word and you can use them. Lord, sweep up my enemies with the broom of destruction. <laughs> so, number seven. Um, this one's really cool because it can be augmented in so many fashions. I love using it. And I, I, I have actually fielded questions about this because people have heard me <laughs> pray in different kinds of ways. And they're like, uh, wait, where's the scripture for that? You know, because... I, I have fun with this stuff. But, but here it is. The, the next one, number seven, is the light of God. So John 1, verses 4 through 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Acts 22, verse 6, talking about Paul and his encounter with Jesus, says, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. It knocked him down. It impaled him, and it blinded him. The light of God can be leveraged into the battlefield of the Spirit. Now, you can just call for the light of God. I have uh, different applications of the light of God. Sometimes I'll open up a window emanating the glory of God, and I'll shine it on, on someone's human spirit to empower them, to bless them, um, to bring life, and so forth. So it can be used as a ministry tool. But 
But the darkness did not comprehend the light. You know, in the beginning, darkness was over the face of the waters, and then God said, let there be light. And the light, light plays into so many things. You know, blood is congealed light. DNA is light. I, I, I mean, we are essentially uh, light passing through frames, and that's how we experience time. Uh, on the scale of Planck time, it's like a frame and your light, that's your DNA and everything at the base level passes through that frame and, and that becomes a moment. So uh, there, there is all kinds of elements of light. Light plays into so many different levels of, of the creation, but then there's the light of God and that light of God is absolute terror to darkness. Why? Where the light is, no darkness can dwell. So, so I will sometimes give the angels, I'll call for the angels that are warring with me to receive light-based weapons. Now, this is where people get messed up because they're like, Daniel, how, how are you going to give angels light-based weapons? It's just easy. I'll say, Lord God, I pray that your angels on assignment would be equipped with light-based weapons. <laughs> done you know um, this may sound complete fantasy world to you but I guarantee you if you sit down in a group of prayer warriors and you have someone that knows what they're doing and has faith me, and seers that are looking at what's happening in the spirit realm you will watch it transact that the prayer warrior will speak and the seers will say oh my I see the armies of heaven and now they have light-based weapons. They're holding them. Oh, my gosh, that's so cool. Now they're shooting their light-based weapons at the powers of darkness. Oh, it's, it's amazing. You know, as a matter of fact, it's in the seer realm that we began to learn about some of the applications, creative applications of the weaponry that we have been given in the uh Word of God. See, what is a laser? Now, now, if you're really smart, you know the answer to this question. It's a concentrated beam of light. So, a light-based weapon is essentially a laser weapon in the hands of an angel that emanates the light of Jesus. Whoa! And, and so you can just blast stuff, man. Um, anyway, that's weapon number seven. And, and you know, you can get even more creative with this because you have a human spirit and your human spirit can get a weapon that is a light-based gun <laughs> and shoot humans too. You know, um, people have not quite fully recognized the capacity of the human spirit to engage in spiritual warfare. But uh, I've been doing this for a long time and I can tell you, I. I've gone out into many battles with the angels of the Lord and done excessive amounts of warfare through my spirit, man, not my soul. And there is a difference, uh, a huge difference. And um, I have seen the Lord release many other human spirits that they've been ministered to into the battlefield in the heavens. And it's just so much fun to see the different things. You know, I've learned a lot from getting downloads from my human spirit about the things that God has him doing in the spirit realm, which is me, has me doing, but it's my spirit. Um, you know, I, I get downloads because my spirit does things that I don't know are possible, and then 
it comes back to me. It's like, this is what happened. It's like, whoa, new prayer solution. This is cool stuff. Light-based weapons. Now you know. Next, the breath of God. Isaiah 11, verse 4 says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Really? Yeah, really. Lord God, your word says that with your breath, you will slay the wicked. And I loose your breath upon the battlefield of my life and declare that the wicked are slain. It's that easy. You can use this scripture. It's the word of God. You're speaking the Bible. You just put it in your mouth. You say it out loud and whammo, man. The kingdom of darkness is getting crushed. So the breath of God is a, a really, really cool weapon. It has the effect of a, of a gust of wind. Um, it, 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 it is also life to the things ordained of God. The, the breath of God can be used in a redemptive manner to put life in a person's body, soul, or spirit. You can pray, Lord God, would you breathe into this person? Would you fill their spirit? with your breath you know it, it has redemptive application as well but i'm telling you according to isaiah 11 verse 4 it says with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked come on we're talking about weapons of warfare and how to bust demons upside the head harder point number nine the bread of adversity and waters of affliction. This one's so cool. I remember one day I was, I was in a good mood. And I don't want to talk about what happens when I'm in a bad mood. I was in a good mood. And so I, I decided that this demon that had been apprehended in the spirit should suffer more. So I made the angels hold his mouth open. And I spoke that it would be force-fed the bread of adversity. And so it was force-fed this horrible substance. <laughs> it was actually very humorous to, to watch it in the spirit. And um, yeah, yeah, it, it was absolute terribleness for that entity. And, and, and here's the fact of the matter. Isaiah 30 verse 20 says, And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, <laughs> Yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. See, um, there's this slogan that, that goes around when people talk smack. It's, it, it goes kind of like this. Eat this, right? Because whatever you served the person, now they have to uh, metaphorically eat it, right? Let's say you slam dunked it on the basketball court and, man, you know, you just – burn the guy on defense you, you get done slam dunking it and then you look at the guy and you're like eat this you know and he and he just has to take it why because he was served um uh, uh, on the uh, on the soccer court right you, you, you're in the field right you might score a goal burn the goalie get done eat this right now, this might be bad sportsmanship. I get it. I'm not trying to teach you that you should do this. I'm just saying that it's been done. Well, this is the same thing with the kingdom of darkness. You know, you shut down a whole demonic enterprise, serve them some bread of affliction, 
eat this. <laughs> because you want to bust the demons upside the head harder. This is actually an available resource. You, you're not here to just beat the devil. We're here to shame the devil. It's time for an attitude check, friend. Number 10, boils. Exodus 9, 9 through 11. It's familiar territory for a lot of believers. It's one of the 10 plagues. It says, and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses, scattered them toward heaven, and they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. See, um, all of these weapons transfer to spiritual warfare application because we've been given the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How did you use it? Loose boils into the camp of the kingdom of darkness and plague them. You know, it's really hard to fight a successful battle against a believer when you are being smited with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart and boils. Man, that would make you just want to turn around, go home and lick your wounds. But if you are unfortunate enough to get caught on a battlefield that, you know, we're warring on, I will often cut off all the exit routes, back doors, and escape routes, and put snares and booby traps on them. So after smiting the enemies with madness and blindness and affliction and boils and all other kinds of adversities uh, through weapons of warfare, I'm going to cut off all the escape routes and snare them and explode more booby traps and bombs and all other kinds of punishments on the kingdom of darkness in prayer with the resources that God has given me to ensure that there is a testimony of absolute persecution that these evil spirits are going to walk away from their encounter with. You know, if this, is, this is what you need to look at yourself at. You need to see yourself as the reason why demons want to quit their job, okay? When you wake up that morning and you say, I get it. God put me here to be the reason why demons wake up and want to quit their job. You're finally coming into a clearer conceptualization of your role in the kingdom of God. The Bible says we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me challenge you with this thought. There are people that have gone into Christian churches and said, why would I want to be a Christian when their God treats them like this? Right? Because you have a bunch of Christians, broke, busted, and disgusted. I've met them. And often they were the most religious ones of the pack. They're so religious. Broke, busted, and disgusted. It's a bad testimony. Maybe... That's not the testimony that God wants the world to see when they look at his children. Maybe he wants the world to see a company of people that are turning the world upside down. Just a thought. Number 11, dagger. Great weapon. Um, judges 3.16 mentions dagger. It was used by Ehud, one of the judges of Israel. 
It says, now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and a cubit in length and fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. I don't have too much in the way of creativity to share about the dagger. It's just another sharp object that hurts when you get stabbed by it. And so why not stab a devil with a dagger and a sword and chop him up with an ax? Um, by the way, you know, have I mentioned that this can get fun? You can you you can chain together attacks like a combo move, you know. Um, it's about time the the script got flipped. Okay, so so number eleven is the dagger. Number twelve is the vengeance of God. Bible says, Deuteronomy thirty two verse thirty five: Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come hasten upon them. Vengeance of God. Now, God takes vengeance. And, you know, it, it, especially when we're dealing with in a human domain, we often have to leave the timing of vengeance to God and go the route of forgiveness and pursue justice with him where uh, necessary. But, you know, uh, God is definitely in the business of administrating justice and executing vengeance and he has unlimited vengeance to execute on the powers of darkness i guarantee you because they destroy and plunder and ruin the lives of his children all day long you think that that's something he doesn't want to take vengeance against he's not waiting to execute his vengeance against so just call for it in prayer, call for his vengeance. Say, vengeance is yours, says the Lord. And, and, and I pray, Lord God, that you would take vengeance on my behalf against the enemies that persecute me and my family and destroy your works in my life. Send off the invitation. Um, number 13, the wrath of God is a weapon the Bible says, Psalm 59, verse 13, consume them in thy wrath, consume them that they may not be, and let them that know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth say law. Now, now, many people get really uncomfortable with the conversation surrounding God's wrath in Scripture. They're like, oh, God's a loving God, therefore he's never angry, and he's never mad. Angry people are scary. I, I don't like angry people. I can't handle an angry God, so God is only love. And, you know, he got saved when Jesus died. So the God of the Old Testament is different. I, I don't even know why it talks about wrath in the Old Testament. Or, or they say things like, well, you know, the, the wrath of God in the Old Testament is kind of like yelling loudly to save a child's life. You know, I would never be angry at my child. But if he was running towards the street, I'd say, hey, Billy, you know, don't run in the street, Billy. That, that's what God means by wrath. That's all it means. You know, I, I've heard some of this stuff. And I disagree, because when I read Psalm 59, 13, it actually talks about consuming wrath, wrath that absolutely decimates the battlefield, evicts the enemies of God from existence. That's the wrath that the Bible describes. And so... In order to make the case for a loving God, sometimes people end up with this imbalance. And they say, well, God is never angry, and he doesn't take vengeance, and he's not 
a God of wrath. He is a God of wrath. He does take vengeance and he does get angry. Okay. Every one of these emotions is properly ascribed to God, but there is a balance because he's also a God of passionate love and long suffering and mercy and justice and grace and truth and light and so forth. He's all of these things at the same time. But it's a good thing that God is a God of wrath because when the wrath is applied to his enemies that destroy his works and his children, it makes sense. The Bible says in Jeremiah 10, 10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting God. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Look. Let's just be holistic about our interpretation of the Word of God and consider the whole counsel. What you need to understand is that the injustice you have suffered in this earth has ignited the wrath of God. God is not happy about what the enemy has done to destroy you. And so the wrath of God can be released like a weapon against the powers of darkness. You know, I, I remember one day we were in quite a tussle with the powers of darkness and a, a whole bunch of fallen angels had actually gotten together uh, in order to resist the work that we were doing. It, it was a whole group of them. And, and so it was like, wow, you know, there's like, I don't remember if it was 15, 20, 25 uh, fallen angels. The person I was working with was able to see them all. They were all banded together and they're all like, yeah, we're going to shut this down. You guys aren't going to get another inch, so on and so forth. And uh, the, the person that I was working with uh, had a revelation from the Holy Spirit that there were vaults on the inside of them. And they, they, they were vaults that stored up the wrath of God. And those vaults were filled throughout their lives as they suffered one injustice after another, after another. They were actually, all these injustices were being stored in vaults and these vaults were being carried by them, by the witness. And so um, all these fallen angels banded together and God had us open the vaults of his wrath. And when the vaults opened, this massive blast of God just overtook all of these fallen angels and they were judged and punished and hurt and wounded and so on and so forth. It, it was brutal. So the wrath of God is an incredible weapon that can be loosed at, and, and sometimes at very uh, spirit led times, but my, oh my, So the, the wrath of God is on the list. Number 14, voice of the Most High. The Bible says in Psalm 18, verse 13, the Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. So the voice of the Most High is an incredible weapon. And one of the really cool things that it does is that it, it, it is a frequency weapon. When you're dealing with things that have mm, a great deal of interface, the voice of the Most High can desynchronize things through vibration and frequency in the spirit and separate things that were never designed to be connected. I remember one time 
I had a, a situation where I was working with a person and a piece of their broken humanity was interfaced with Satan at every point of existence. It was a very, very complicated situation. And, and um, they, they actually were able to hear Satan. And, and on this case, he was kind of mocking me because he felt that there was nothing I was going to be able to do to figure out how to undo this very complex bondage, which was essentially interface at every point of existence with him. And so I, I actually scratched my head for a minute and I, I didn't quite know what to do. And so I asked God, God download, and I used the voice of the most high. And as I prayed for the voice of the most high to desynchronize the interface at every point of existence between Satan and this person's humanity, his voice and that emanation and frequency separated out Satan from the humanity. And we were, but <laughs> we got the last lap, see. And so the voice of the most high is an extremely powerful weapon that can be used when things need to be addressed through frequency and sound. And um, the, the voice of the Most High can also issue rebukes to the powers of darkness. So, so there, there, there's that. Now, number 15, hosts of heaven. Now, one of the names of God is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Psalm 59, verse 5 says, You therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake and punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. See, God is the God of hosts. So if there are hosts, then obviously he plans to use them. One of the ministries that the hosts of heaven or angels have to believers is to wage war in the spirit with us and on our behalf. So I will often call for the engaging of the hosts of heaven on the spiritual warfare battlefield. And again, you know, uh, the, the host of heaven can be equipped and outfitted in all kinds of radical and ridiculous ways. One of the things that I learned, it, it, hidden secret, and this one, this is like, uh, I don't know, uh, practitioner grade revelation. <laughs> you can charge angels, their realms, and their weapons with the names of God. Names like Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shama, Jehovah Nisa, Jehovah Sidkinu, Jehovah Mekeresh, Jehovah Ra, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Gabor, Jehovah Elohim, so on and so forth. I have a whole bunch of names that I, I personally memorize because I use them all the time in warfare. And uh, I've even written this uh, a whole list of names of God into the morning prayer in the book Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth in a specific application of charging a realm um, and engaging it with the day on behalf of a believer, but you can take those same names and charge the angels, the hosts of heaven, their weapons and their realms. And oh my gosh, it is like 
watching Clark Kent turn into Superman. I mean, these angels become absolutely supercharged with power. And, and, and the reason why we know this is because we've tested it over and over again. I've tested this with different seers in the spirit. And I, when, they, when we engage with the angelic realms and, you know, we're about to deal with something in the spirit, I'll say, okay, watch the angel. Um, maybe they have a belt on. I'll say, look at their belt. And so the, the seer is looking at the belt. And I'll say, I'll charge your belt with the names of God. And I'll go through a whole list and charge names, you know, and as I go through that list, the belt will grow brighter and brighter and get more gadgets and more weapons and more of this. And, and, and the angel starts getting really excited and the seer's like, oh my gosh, this is what's happening. This is, you know, we, so we have a great time. So I, I mean, often when I go into battle, I'll have all the angels that are working with me charged up with the names of God. Folks, let me tell you something. It's time for you to start representing the winning team by winning, okay? We, we, we have been not representing well the kingdom of the Most High God because we have been training ourselves to navigate loss instead of equipping ourselves with weaponry that will get the job done and establish us in the victory of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Number 16, the snare. I mentioned this before. You know, the enemy lays snares for us all the time. Some of you got snared just earlier today by things like pornography. You got snared by things like strife. You got snared by things like, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, road rage. Okay. Yeah, I said it. Road rage. You road rageaholics need some deliverance in Jesus' name. So you get snared. The Bible says our soul is escaped out of the snare of the fowler. Some people think the only snares getting laid in the spirit are being laid by the devil so we can get snared. It's time to flip the script. See, the Bible says in Psalm 69, verse 22, let their table become a snare before them and their well-being a trap. The Bible says in Job 18, verse 9, the net takes him by the heel and the snare lays hold of him. See, you can lay snares for the powers of darkness. You can lay tripwires. You can lay booby traps and attach bombs to them. And so it's time for us to be more creative about how we are situating ourselves in the spirit realm with our prayers morning and night. Set a snare for the enemy that comes along to harass you. Burning wind, number 17. Last, last week, we talked about the dry wind. And now we're going to talk about the burning wind. The Bible says in Psalm 11, verse 6, Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire, and a brimstone, and a burning wind. Uh, there's four weapons right there. The burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. So, you know, Psalm 11, verse 6, beautiful passage, four weapons of warfare. 
One of them is the burning wind. And you can just speak, I loose the burning wind into the camp of the enemy formed against me in Jesus' name. Powerful. The name of Jesus. Now, this, this is one of the weapons that I cut my teeth on as a young boy because I used to be harassed by demons all the time. After I turned about 13, I started getting attacked physically. Before that, it was just seeing them in the spirit with my eyes and being terribly scared. Um, I decided uh, long ago that it would work out that I would not be the one getting bullied by the demons. The demons would be the ones getting bullied by me as Jesus, you know, because we are co-laboring and working together. So me and Jesus go out to bully the demons. And so should you and Jesus go out to bully the demons. Don't try to bully the demons without them. Do it with them. And, 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 but, but before I learned how to bully demons with Jesus, all I knew how to do was get them to stop attacking me. And the first weapon I really learned was just the name of Jesus. And that was because when I would see demons, when I was really young, I would, you know, get up. I couldn't speak. I would run out of my bedroom, run into my mom's room. And then when I was able to speak, I would tell her, you know, I saw an evil spirit. And my mom would just tell it to leave in the name of Jesus. And that was how I learned to pray. And that was the one thing that actually did work most of the time. It would just, you know, if I was under attack, if I was in sleep paralysis, if I was, you know, getting some kind of issue, I would have to wake up out of that state and say, get out in the name of Jesus. And it would break the attack. Now the attack would often come back later. Or it would be a different attack. And I, I mean, I got slammed and hammered years. But the name of Jesus would stop the attack. And many people have seen and testified to the fact that abduction experiences have been stopped with the name of Jesus. Demonic attacks have been stopped in the name of Jesus. When demons have appeared to people, they will leave when they declare the name of Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 10 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee must bow in, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. So Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He has a name that is above every name. And at his name, the enemies of God must bow. So the name of Jesus is a weapon of warfare. <clears throat> Next, number 19, praying in tongues. Ephesians 6, 14 through 18 says, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So, <clears throat> You have the armor of God. You have the sword of the spirit, which is both offensive and defensive. And you have another piece. And some people don't acknowledge this piece because they come from a background of Christianity that says there are no gifts of the spirit. So they don't pray in the spirit. Well, I do. <laughs> and so should you. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. You know, praying in tongues is a weapon of warfare. 
So if you have the gift of praying in tongues, you can engage with the battlefield by praying in tongues and then moving into English. And, you know, one of the awesome things about praying in tongues is that if you have the gift of interpretation, you can go into a warfare or intercessory mode with tongues, get the interpretation and begin to declare it in the English language. And that can actually be the prophetic unveiling of a new weapon of warfare or strategy of warfare in the spirit that you can then write down or add to your arsenal uh, this is one of the things that we've done. <laughs> I've had a lot of prayer strategies come out of the interpretation of tongues. And I've also seen things just unravel in the spirit as I'm simply praying in tongues and not interpreting. It's just powerful, plain and simple. So one of the weapons of warfare is praying in tongues. And, and, and I hate the fact that some Christians have been indoctrinated with a viewpoint or vantage point that says, look, this is not of God. What that is, is simply a disarming of the body of Christ. It is taking away that which God has given us in order to um, effectively execute his purposes and agendas in the earth, execute warfare against the enemy. And, 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 and there are so many reasons to pray in tongues. I mean, it, this, this, this is a whole series of teachings that you could go into on, on that one subject. And some of you have found other ministers that, that go through the depth of teaching on all the reasons why you, you would want to pray in tongues. I'm not going to do that here. I, I'm simply delivering it as a weapon of warfare and saying, please, please, I beg you. If you have been sitting on a fence about the gift of praying in tongues, get off the fence and get on the winning side. Amen. Threshing sledge. I, I love this, right? This is, this is right up there with the broom of destruction. <laughs> the threshing sledge. You know, you think, like, damn the ball, come on, man. There's no way there's a threshing sledge in the Bible. That's ridiculous. Really? Isaiah 41, verse 15 says, Behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and beat them small and make the hills like chaff. I'm telling you, man, the mountains of darkness better watch out when you begin to unleash the threshing sledge of God. Okay? Um, enough said. Poison. Uh, you know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 24, they shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by pestilence and bitter destruction. I will also send against them the teeth of beasts with the poison of serpents of the dust. Wow. So poison is a weapon of warfare that you can use. I uh, want to advise you to use it against the powers of darkness. Um, uh, please don't poison people. That that's not nice. But poison. I mean, it, it's a real thing, and and it, it it is effective. There there is spiritual poison, and you can turn it on the powers of darkness and, and make them eat it, or drink it, or get injected by it, tie them to a table, and put needles inside of them with poison and other things. Um, it, you know, there is no limit to the amount of creativity you can apply to your spiritual warfare. Be creative. 
there are so many keys scattered throughout the world. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. <laughs> you know, that mightiness has not been harnessed by us. And I'm trying to give you what you need to be mighty in the Spirit. And some of you are just licking your wounds. That's what you do. You get hurt, and then you want to talk about it. That's your whole testimony of Christianity. It's time to awaken to a new day. Number 22, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood, the blood. There's power in the blood. Revelation 12, verse 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. I go through three weapons of warfare extensively in our course on introduction to spiritual warfare. It's at the Bride Ministries Institute. You can find it at our website at bridemovement.com. And uh, the three weapons that I go into extensively in that particular course is the blood of Jesus, the living water, and the oil of anointing. And and, um, I I, I would highly advise you, if you want to upgrade your spiritual warfare, sign up for that class. It's going to change things for you. But the blood of Jesus is irrevocable. You can uh, adjure demons by the power of the blood of Jesus. You can make them tell the truth by the power of the blood of Jesus. You can put the blood of Jesus on a person's sickness. You can put the blood of Jesus on your car, on your bank account, on your life, on your wife, and on your strife. You know, the blood of Jesus is universally applicable to just about everything. It brings redemption, and it is a witness to the testimony of Jesus. Never neglect to use the blood. Numbers 23, 24, and 25, and I'm going to conclude with this, are quakes. They're all different kinds of quakes. (laughs) Earthquake, airquake, and seaquake. You know, and, and yeah, right? You haven't heard teaching like this before. I get it. Dan, are you seriously trying to tell me that you use a seaquake in your prayer life? 100% absolutely, okay? It's right up there with the broom of destruction, okay? And the uh, threshing sledge. Of course I use it. Along with the uh, other stuff I've told you about. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 13, 13, Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. See. When God shakes the heavens, that's an earthquake. Shaking the heavens. Okay. Uh, Haggai 2 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. So, so here in Haggai, you have God shaking heaven, there's your earthquake, and earth. It's your earthquake and the sea. <laughs> There's your sea quake. Haggai 2.6. 
Watch out, water, spirit, kingdom. There's a lot of earthquakes coming to you because I'm believing God that thousands of people are going to find this podcast and start loosing sea quakes to destroy the camps of darkness in underwater locations. Airquakes to destroy the camps of darkness in atmospheric locations. Earthquakes to destroy the encampments of darkness as spiritual overlays upon residences and pieces of geography and land and under the earth as well. I am believing God that things are shifting in Jesus' name. Now, folks, uh, I'm going to close the program with the Weapons of Warfare Prayer 2, which will also be posted to bridemovement.com under our free prayer resources section. And so you can use this prayer at your leisure or just use it as notes to take some of the language and apply it to your own warfare prayer of brutality that's designed to shame the devil. You are here to work with Jesus and shame the devil. That is our job. It's not our job to get used to getting kicked around by the powers of darkness. This is how to bust demons upside the head harder. All right. Father in heaven, I come before you in the mighty name of Jesus, because I have been invited to come boldly before your throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. I resist the oppression that has come against me in my house and lift up a shout of praise. I glorify you and your majesty and declare that there is no one like you. The name of Jesus is the name above every name, at whose name every knee must bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I declare that all evil agents must bow the knee at the mention of that name. I release chariots of God into the midst of enemy encampments and fronts mounted against my life, family, business, and calling in the name of Jesus. I declare that the forces of darkness must be cut down. I smite evil agents with madness, blindness, and astonishment of heart. I declare that evil forces will load the day they receive assignments against me, for I choose to stand in my identity as a child of the Most High God. May the broom of the Lord sweep up all of the defilement that the enemy has planted against my life. I arm the hosts of heaven with light-based weaponry that hyper-focuses the light of Jesus upon their targets. Go and punish the hosts of evil. I speak that the breath of God strikes the enemy coming in and going out. I declare that evil spirits are apprehended and forced spread the bread of adversity and waters of affliction. I declare that they are smitten with boils and they are pierced through with daggers. I speak that there will remain no safe place for the enemies to take up arms against me. The pursuers will become the pursuit as the vengeance of God is engaged on my behalf. I speak that my testimony of injustice is beheld in the courts of heaven and becomes evidence that unleashes the wrath of God upon his enemies that destroy my life and the lives of those he loves. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. I declare that of the areas of my life that are under attack, they are being retuned and harmonized to the frequency of the voice of the Most High God down to the very genetics that compose my person. I receive winds of refreshing and condemn the evil powers that mount themselves against me to the burning wind. I declare that all of their paths, rivers, highways, wormholes, portals, and stargates are rigged with snares, tripwires, and booby traps that are linked to devastating glory bombs. 
I speak that your angels surround me round about, above, and below, and against every dimensional access point in Jesus' name. I thank you for the power of the blood of Jesus by which I cover every component of my life, family, business, ministry, and destiny. Amen. You've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. If you would like to connect with us at Bride Ministries or to support what we are doing financially, visit us at www.bridemovement.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.